Amen. Well, you guys can go ahead, go ahead and grab a seat. How's everybody doing tonight? Okay, y'all can do better than that. How is everyone doing tonight? There we go. Well, it's so good to see each one of you. I hope you guys are having a great week so far. If you don't know me, my name is Morgan, and I'm part of our student team here. And listen, we are just so thankful that you've chosen to be here on Wednesday night. I know you guys have a lot going on. There's a lot going on at school, sports, and so we are extremely grateful that you have chosen to be here and to spend your Wednesday night with us. And if tonight is your very first time here with us, you have picked a great night to be here because we are in week two of a teaching series called Heaven Invade. And throughout this teaching series, our goal is actually pretty simple. Our goal is to unpack and talk through some extremely difficult topics. Topics that you probably find really interesting, but that you've often never heard talked about in church before. These are topics like heaven and hell, angels and demons, the devil. And although these are topics that we don't typically talk a whole lot about, I think they're actually really important for us to have an accurate understanding of. Because these are things, whether we realize it or not, that can actually impact how we live out our faith, how we live out our relationship with Jesus. And so tonight, we're going to talk about a topic that most likely you've probably never heard addressed in church before. Probably because it's a little uncomfortable. Probably because we don't know everything that there is to know about it. And probably because no one actually wants to talk about it. Tonight, we are going to talk about our very real spiritual opponent, which is the devil. Now, if you have ever played sports before, you know that you have an opponent. How many of you have ever played sports? All right, most of you in this room. Now, you know that when you play sports, you have someone that you are competing against. It doesn't matter if it's an individual sport. It doesn't matter if it's a team sport. You have another person or another team that you are competing against. But listen, here's what I find really interesting. When you look at back at the, the history of sports, and you look at some of the greatest athletes and the greatest teams of, of all time, it doesn't really matter how great their athletic ability is. It doesn't necessarily matter how well coached they were. The thing that separates a, a good athlete or team from a great athlete or team is whether or not they actually understand their opponent. It's whether or not they actually understand who they're up against. You see, great athletes and teams, they spend time studying their opponent. They're aware of who the best players are on the other team. Like, they know their strengths and weaknesses. They spend time watching film, understanding the other team's strategies and tactics and play plays. And what they do is they take all of this information that they learn about another team and they formulate what we all know is called a game plan. And whether or not they can successfully execute that game plan determines the outcome of that game that, that's going to be played. A good game plan gives them the highest chance of being successful. 
So that's what we're going to do tonight. We are going to approach tonight as if we are developing a game plan for our spiritual opponent. You know, I think it's important for us as followers of Jesus to understand who we're up against. To not be naive, to not stick our head in the sand, to not act like that the devil's not a big deal or that he doesn't exist. Or even to swing too far the opposite direction and become over-concerned and over-focused on the devil that we become paralyzed with fear. Rather, Scripture tells us that we are to be diligent and wise in understanding who our spiritual opponent is. That's why Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. So to develop our, our spiritual game plan, we are going to answer three specific questions tonight. These are three of the most important questions that I think many people have when it comes to understanding who the devil is and how he operates. And I believe these questions will give us a really solid foundation in understanding who we're up against. The three questions that we're going to answer tonight are this. Number one, where did he come from? Number two, what is his strategy? And number three, what is his future? Three basic questions to help us understand more about our spiritual opponent. The, the first question I want us to answer tonight is this. Where did he come from? Where did he come from? Where did the devil come from? You know, I think the, the assumption that many of us have is that the devil has, has always existed. That just like God, he was never created and he has always been around. And since the beginning of time, he has been causing chaos and evil and destruction in the world. But you see, this assumption is not actually true. And in fact, the Bible tells us something completely different. You see, that the devil has not always existed. In fact, the devil was not even originally created as the devil. Instead, he was created as this beautiful angel that we often refer to by the name of, of Lucifer. You see, when, when God created the, the universe, he created both the, the physical world and he created the, the spiritual world. The, the physical world are the things that you and I see on a daily basis. They're the things that we can, can touch and can feel and can hear and can sense. They're the things that, that we interact with. But there's also a spiritual world. There's a spiritual world that God created that's not necessarily always as visible to us. This includes things like heaven and hell and angels what would fall into this category. Although we can't always physically see them, they are there. In fact, there are actually several examples in scripture of, of where angels appeared to people. Angels showed up and, and people were actually able to, to visibly see them. They exist. And you see, God created angels with a very specific purpose. And that purpose was to glorify God. The Bible gives us descriptors of what angels are like. The Bible tells us that angels have, have personalities. They can express feelings and emotions. They actually have different roles and jobs. 
And angels also have the capacity to choose between right and wrong. And unfortunately, this beautiful angel named Lucifer that that God created chose to rebel against God and to reject his authority. In essence, Lucifer thought that that he was better than God, that he should take God's place and, and rule over the entire universe. And as punishment, God actually cast Lucifer and some of his other followers, who were angels at the time, out of heaven. I want you to see what the Bible has to say in Isaiah chapter 14. It says this, Shining morning star, this is where we get the name Lucifer from, How have you fallen from the heavens? You destroyer of nations, you have been cut down to the ground. You said to yourself, I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the God's assembly in the remotest parts of the north. I will ascend above the highest clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you will be brought down to shale into the deepest regions of the pit. Now, the Bible does not give us an exact timeline of when Lucifer and and his fellow angels were, were cast out of heaven. However, when we look at the Bible chronologically, meaning when we look at Scripture in the order that events actually took place, it's most likely that the Lucifer was actually cast out of heaven after God created the universe and before the serpent tempted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It most likely happened between those two events. But listen, regardless of when this actually happened, the devil and and now what are his demons were not actually banished to to hell. Some demons were were sent there immediately, and they're going to be released during the end times, and we're going to unpack that more in a few weeks. But the devil and his demons, they currently roam the earth. And although we can't see them, they pose a very real threat. They pose a very real threat. The second question I want us to answer tonight, number two, is this. What is his strategy? What is his strategy? The name Satan in the original language, means adversary. And that word adversary, it means to to oppose. And that is the, the devil's primary mission. The devil's primary mission is to directly oppose God. Now I want you to, to hear me say this, all right? The devil is not more powerful than God. He is not all-knowing, He is not all-powerful. He is not in all places at at all times. But the devil hates God so much that he will go after and that he will attack the people that God cares for most, the people that God loves. He will attempt to make followers of Jesus completely useless by destroying their life. He will attempt to make people who claim to be followers of Jesus completely ineffective, completely useless by destroying their life. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, okay, that's great, but how does the devil actually work? Like, how does the devil actually uh, attack me? Like, what does this look like in my life? 
the Bible gives us several specific examples of, of how the devil attacks. And I want to give you just three that I think are the most important in our lives and that we see in our lives on an everyday basis. One of the most popular tactics that the devil will use is to tempt you towards sin. The devil will try to, to tempt you towards sin. After Jesus was baptized and before he began his ministry here on earth, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And it was while he was in this wilderness that he fasted for, for 40 days and for 40 nights. He was all alone, he was by himself, and he wasn't eating. Now I want you to think about like how hungry you are after skipping lunch one day at school. You come home, you're hangry, you're miserable, you can't wait to have a snack. Now think about going 40 days without eating. This was the situation that Jesus found himself in. He's hungry, he's tired, I'm sure he's fatigued. He is not operating at an extremely high level. And I want you to, to see what Matthew says in his account of this. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 2, it says this, After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, obviously. Then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know, I think we, we tend sometimes to think about Jesus as just being fully God. And Jesus was fully God. But Jesus was also fully man. And just like you and I get hungry when we don't eat, Jesus also got hungry. And having not eaten for, for 40 days, you can imagine that the food was a real weakness for him. Like if you were to put a, a plate of fried chicken in front of you after not eating for 40 days, it's going to be really hard to say no to. It's going to be really hard because you're hungry. That's a weakness that you are currently experiencing. And listen, the, the devil, he knew that. He understood that. That's why he tells Jesus, listen, if you're actually the son of God, if you're actually who you say you are, then why don't you just take those stones that are right there on the ground and, and turn them into bread? He's essentially saying, look, that's a, a really easy meal for you right there if you want it. He appealed directly to Jesus' weakness to lead him towards sin. And although Jesus was tempted, he was also able to, to withstand the devil, and he did not sin. You see, the, the enemy knows the areas in your life that you are most susceptible. The enemy is aware of those things in life that are most likely to trip you up. Things like the sin you struggle with, things like insecurities you have, things like weaknesses that you think you have. And he will try to exploit those areas by targeting your heart and your mind. Now, I wanna make this very clear to each of you in the room tonight. The devil himself, he does not make you sin. 
When we are faced with temptation, we have a choice as to whether we give into that temptation in sin or not. However, the devil will try to take you as far down that path towards sin as he possibly can. He can't control the decision that you make to sin, but he can lead you down that path as far as he possibly can. And listen, he makes sin look really good. The devil knows how to make sin look fun. He doesn't make sin look boring. In fact, he makes it really appealing to us. Why? Because if he knows he can get you on that path towards sin, and you make the decision to sin, there is now distance that exists in your relationship between you and God. Because sin separates us from God. It damages our relationship with God. And the devil wants nothing more than, than to do that. Not only will the devil tempt you to sin, he'll also try to deceive you with lies about God. In the first several chapters of, of Genesis, we read the, the story of creation, of how the, the world came to be. And when God first created the world, he created this beautiful garden called the Garden of Eden. And he told Adam and Eve, the first two human beings that, that ever lived, that they could eat of any tree that existed within this garden. But there was one tree that they were not to touch. Under no circumstance were they to eat the tree of this fruit that was in the middle of the garden. God was crystal clear when he gave these instructions. Like there was no misunderstanding him. But I want you to look at what the serpent or the devil says when he approaches Eve. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, it says, Now he said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? I want you to notice how the devil spoke to Eve. I want you to notice what he said. He didn't come in there and be like, hey, listen, God's wrong. Do whatever you want. That's not what he did. Instead, he started by planting the tiniest seed of doubt. He just asked her a question. Did God really say that? Almost implying like, are, are you sure you, you heard God right? Like, did he really tell you not to eat of this tree? And listen, once this seed of doubt was planted, he began to feed her lie after lie after lie until she chose to sin and eat of the fruit. Hundreds of years later, I want you to listen to what Paul writes about this very same situation when he's writing to the church at Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, it says this, But I fear that just as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your mind may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Listen, the, the reason that we fall victim to, to, to temptation is not because we're naive. It's not because we're unaware. It's not because we're, we're dumb. 
It's because we slowly start to question who God is and what he's commanded us to do. We begin to, to think questions to ourselves like, did God really say that? Like, is that really what he means when, when he says that in, in the Bible? Is, is God really good? Like, is he really a, enough? Like, is he going to actually satisfy me like I think this other thing in my life is, is going to do? Can I really trust him? You know, does God actually know what's best for me? And over time, what begins to happen is we begin to, to believe these lies that the devil tells us. And it begins to alter and skew our view of who God is and the commands that he's given us. Not only will the devil tempt you, he'll also deceive you. And then finally, the devil will accuse you. And he will accuse you to make you second-guess God's forgiveness. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says this. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come. Because the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuse them before our God day and night, has been thrown down. You see, when we truly repent, when we truly come to God, and when we ask him to forgive us of, of a sin in our life, God is very quick to extend grace and forgiveness. God doesn't hold our sin over our head. He doesn't guilt trip us about what we've done. The Bible tells us that God actually takes our sin and he throws it as far as the east is from the west, meaning he wipes the slate clean. Like it's done, it's in the past, it's over. And when that happens, it restores our relationship with God. But so many times, here's what the devil will do. Even though our sin has been forgiven, even though God has, has forgotten about it, he's forgiven us, the devil will try to drag it right back up. He'll accuse us before God by reminding us of our mistakes, telling us things like, listen, you've got a problem. No one struggles with this like you do. Or he'll say something like, listen, you're never really going to be able to, to overcome this. Do you really think God's going to be able to forgive you for this? Do you really think God's going to be able to use you because this is in your past? And listen, over time, when these are the things that we continue to hear and the things that we continue to think about God, these accusations that are made, they begin to define us. They begin to define who we are, almost to the point where we become labeled by our sin. Our sin, it becomes our identity. It becomes how we view ourselves. It becomes how we talk about ourselves. And many times it'll leave us feeling shame and guilt. And unfortunately, instead of embracing God's grace and his mercy, we begin to, to second guess his forgiveness all because the, the accusations that the devil has made against us. The devil, he will try to tempt us. 
He will try to deceive us, and he will try to accuse us, to render us completely powerless and ineffective. The last question I want us to answer tonight is, is question number three, what is his future? What is his future? The Bible actually talks a lot about the devil's future. And we're going to spend some more time in the next few weeks talking through some specifics of this. But, but ultimately, the devil's final resting place is, is hell. Scripture tells us that he will be thrown into the lake of fire where he will be tormented for eternity. And he will no longer be able to, to wage war with God. Look at what the writer of Revelation says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. It says, The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet are. And there they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. What does this mean for us today? What does this mean for us right here on a Wednesday night, sitting in this room? You see, although we are, are still at war with our spiritual opponent, that war is not going to last forever. Why? Because the victory has already been won. It's been secured. Through Jesus' death and, and resurrection on the cross, he defeated the devil and triumphed over him. And because of Jesus' victory on the cross, one day the devil will be rendered completely powerless. He will have absolutely zero power or bearing in any one of our lives. But listen, until that day comes, when the devil is rendered completely powerless, we are still vulnerable. We are still going to, to face attacks. The devil is still going to try to come after us, to, to tempt us to sin to lie to us, to accuse us, to deceive us, and to try to destroy our lives. All with the goal of making us completely ineffective when it comes to following Jesus. And I know that that, that sounds dark and depressing. I know that's something that you probably don't really want to hear. But listen, here's the good news. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus then you don't have to live in fear of the devil. He's not something that you have to be afraid of because Jesus has already provided you everything that you need to withstand the devil's attack. He doesn't just leave you to, to figure it out all by yourself. I want you to, to listen to what I think are some of the most encouraging verses in all of the Bible. It's written by Paul in the book of Ephesians, and he's writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says this. I want you to just listen to these words, all right? Paul says this. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle, it is not a struggle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. 
He goes on to say this, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Listen to me, you are not powerless. If you have trusted Jesus for salvation, he has given you everything that you already need to withstand the attack of the enemy. It's what we just read about. It's called the armor of God. And we have access to this through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. So so how do we access it? By being faithful to do the things that we talk about all the time. By being faithful to, to do the things that we literally talk about in church all the time. Things like studying God's word, Why is that important? So that you can discern what is true and what is not true when the enemy is trying to deceive you. Things like prayer, being in constant communication with the heavenly father who loves you and who is for you. It looks like accountability, linking arms with someone who is walking through a similar temptation as you. Not so that you're alone, but so that you have someone that you can talk to, that you can confide in, that can encourage you to continue following Jesus even when it gets hard. It looks like being plugged in at a church, having people around you who are like-minded so that you're not isolated, so that when you walk through a difficult season in life, you have people that are there cheering you on. This right here, this is the game plan to defeat your spiritual opponent. I have literally just given you a scouting report on how you can defeat your spiritual opponent. But here's my question for you. Are you gonna choose to implement it? If you're a follower of Jesus, you already have access to all of these things. You have access to everything you need to be victorious in the face of temptation, in the face of of deception, and in the face of accusation. Now I know that, that there are probably some of you in here tonight and you've got some questions. Maybe you're in here tonight and you have never placed your, your faith and trust in Jesus. You have never come to that point where where you've given your life over to Jesus and entrusted him for salvation. Listen, tonight, your first step in fighting against the devil might be to to give your life to the one who's already secured a victory. For you, your first step might be to say, God, listen, I can't do this on my own anymore. 
God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've fallen short. And God, I ask that you would step in. Jesus himself says it best in, in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come so that you may have life and that you may have it to the fullest. Listen, Jesus came so that you can experience true life through a relationship with God. And if you're here tonight and you don't know what that means, you've got questions about what that looks like, I wanna challenge you to, to come talk to me. I'm gonna be in the, the back of the room over there. We've got leaders all throughout this room that would love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to, to give your life to Jesus. Because guys, listen, it is only through Jesus' work on the cross that we have what we need to truly withstand the schemes of the devil. So with every head bowed and, and every eye closed, God, we thank you so much that you love us so much that you didn't just leave us to, to fight the devil on our own. God, frankly, because that's not possible. God, you gave us a, a solution. You gave us a game plan for our spiritual opponent. God, I thank you so much that, that you loved us so much that 2,000 years ago, you sent your son to come down to earth, to live like us, and to ultimately die a horrific and painful death that we deserved. Also that we could have a relationship with you. And God, through that relationship with you, we now have everything that we need to withstand attacks when they come from the enemy, because they're coming. And God, I pray that we would not be so close-minded, so short-sighted to think that we're not susceptible to the work of the enemy in our lives. God, I pray that, that you would give us eyes to see when we're being tempted. God, I pray that you would fill our mind with, with truth so that we can discern what's right and, and what's wrong when, when the devil tries to lie to us. God, I pray that when we face accusations about who we are, that you will remind us that we are your children. And there is nothing that we can ever do that will change that fact. God, I thank you that you have given us every single thing we need. Because we don't deserve it. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.